Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Okay, so uh, the title of my sermon uh, today is Freedom to be Content. Uh, and I know uh, something that I kind of just wanted to hit up right at the front is my intention to today, I have no intent in making this a single bashing sermon at all. And I don't want to be up here as the, the married guy telling you, oh, come on, stop complaining, singles, just be content. And I'm afraid that there's, part, there's, there's a temptation to, to think that way. Um, but I just want to reassure you that this is for everyone. It just happens to be a context of singleness, right? This is what we're talking about for this retreat. But this is something that can go uh, across the board in your entire Christian life. This is not something that is isolated to you know, your romantic relationships. This is something that God has put in his word so that we can learn how to be content. We're free to be content, right? As before, when you were a lost man, as such were some of you, right? You were not content in anything that you had. You were, you were constantly needing more and more and more, right? And nothing was ever good enough. And, and that, we are free now to have contentment. So our, our passage that we're going to be in today, our verse uh, that we're going to just be walking through is Hebrews 13.5. So Hebrews 13.5, let's go ahead and read that. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Um, so I... There's a whole lot of stuff that can be said about singleness and, and whatnot. And I kind of, I didn't want to like, preaching topically can be really difficult. Um, it just can be. And I didn't want to like reinvent the wheel. Uh, and that's why I think some people, you know, when you hear the word contentment in a singles, you know, preaching, you know, setting, you're like, oh, of course, he's talking about being content. But yeah, of course I'm talking about being content. What else would I talk about? Like how to up your dating profile and <laughs> what do you want me to get up here and say, you know? This is what, so, you know, if you were expecting something else, sorry. Um, so uh, one of the things that I've noticed in my time in ministry and my time in being a Bible study leader, and there goes the water again, I'm going to put it up here. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed um, is, and this is, again, personally in my own life as well, I've, I've catched myself doing this, but that contentment can somehow become synonymous with despisement, right? You hear when someone's, when they're like, I'm, I'm content, really, and then you, you start digging into it. Like, well, we're here talking about, you know, relationships. So we start really digging into that topic of dating relationships, and you quickly find out, you're not content. You're pissed off at everybody who's in a relationship. You're mad about the fact that you're not in a relationship. And to cover that up, you're, you use the, the Christianese, you know, that we've learned so well. I'm content. I'm called to singleness. I have the gift of singleness. How, I mean, I'm just saying. I, 
I'm not making this up. This isn't like this. You know, this is these are conversations that I've had, and this it's no like fault to you. I'm just saying this is something that is often mixed up, right? That when when I can finally not have that thing and be happy, I don't have that thing. Like, oh, I don't have that thing, and I don't care that I don't have that thing. That not somehow you're content. Come on, you know. Sometimes it feels like they're trying to convince you that they're content more than, like, I'm like, are you, are you really content? It's like, no, not really. And so, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, today, is how to be content in, the, in, in a real biblical way. Um, I think those are, these are the biggest questions, I mean, how do you know if you're called to singleness? How do you know if you have the gift of singleness? Is the gift of singleness temporary or is it forever? Once that comes out of your mouth, is it like you're now single forever at 20 years old? You're like, you, you said it. <laughs> Can't take it back. Remember, God told you that. <laughs> you said that. You said God told you that, so. <laughs> Sorry. All right, okay. Um... But yeah, man, I, this was a, I, th- I, th- I love this, this passage, and uh, I had a good time studying this out. So we're going to go ahead and start with, uh, and we're just going to break down this verse. This is going to be the whole morning, right? So the first half of this says, let your conversation be without covetousness, right? Um, all right, so what is covetousness? That's the first thing, and I think a lot of people, you know, have a concept, at least people in this room, if you've been coming to Midtown for any kind of time, you've heard that word, you've heard it preached, but maybe you don't have a real full understanding of what it means, right? Um, So I I don't have all these verse references in here, uh, but real quick, I'm going to just, and you can jot these down in your notes, uh, these verse references, uh, but Exodus 20, verse 17 um, Deuteronomy 5.21 Micah 2.2 2, Romans 7.7 7, and Romans 13.9 right <clears throat> now it's okay if you didn't get all of those this is recorded you can go back and listen to it uh, but I'm gonna just read a few of these, right? Okay, so Exodus 20, 17 says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet, covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Deuteronomy 5:21 says essentially the same thing. Uh, and so Micah 2, 2 says, And they covet fields and take them by violence and houses. And take them away, so they oppress a man in his house, even a man in his heritage. Man. So even just in those two verses, we get a kind of a, a, a good idea of what it looks like to be covetous, right? It's kind of this visceral reaction to, to desire something that is not yours, right? So that, that is where we're at. It's simply, simply put, it's idolizing and desiring something that is not yours, right? Um, yeah, if you've been around children ever, uh, you know that children get very covetous, 
when they're, especially when they're playing with other kids. Uh, my daughter is very covetous, and she, when she plays with Shiloh, Nick and Hannah's son, uh, she just bullies that kid. <laughs> but I heard that he slapped her the other day, and I was like, good. <laughs> I'm like, she needs some of that. But like, Shiloh would just be minding his own business, playing with a toy, and she's like, that's mine now. <laughs> and then like, push him down. And he's in love with Genevieve, so he's like. <laughs> it's kind of sad watching it. But. <laughs> but it's a good example of, you know, someone being covetous. And who better than a, you know, 20-month-old, so. Anyway, so uh, there's a lot of things that aren't yours. And it's, you know, it's funny. There's actually things we should covet, right? I covet your prayers, right? I I covet, you know, the gift of prophecy or these things or whatever. You know, like Paul talks about things we should covet, right? Um, But there's a whole lot of things we, more things we we shouldn't be coveting, right? Because they're just not something that God has given us, Right? And so another way you could put this is, is attempting to satisfy yourself with anything other than Jesus. I think, that's, I think that was a painful reminder for me. Um, just, I don't know, at the root of it, being covetous is trying to fill that void that's in your life with something other than Jesus. And I'll, say, I'll tell you today, I mean, if, if you actually have not ever you know, encountered Jesus Christ, and he's not your savior, he's not your Lord, um, then like, yeah, of course you're gonna be trying to fill your life with fulfilling things, right? But those fulfilling things are never gonna actually fill that void, right? And that, that only can be satisfied in Jesus Christ. And so Psalm seventeen fifteen says, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. And how often do we wake up and our satisfaction is immediately in how many likes we got on like a post, you know, or whatever. Like, you know, we go to the world for our satisfaction. We go to, you know, what, I mean, anything to just feel validated, to feel satisfied in your life. And I'm telling you right now, if that's not Jesus Christ, you're never going to be satisfied. You're going to be constantly just frustrated, beating your head against the wall, just trying to, I mean, that's the common thread of the world. Do what makes you happy. Well, what makes you happy? Because it seems like you did find it and you still, I mean, think about the most successful people in our world. Some of the most successful people in our world are some of the saddest, most depressed suicidal people in our world. Some of the people that have seemingly found their calling for life, right? That, that calling for their life ended in tragedy. You know, I think of Robin Williams. What a joyful person. What a, what a guy who brought so much laughter and joy to the whole world for decades. And you'd think like, man, he's got it all. He's got a family. He's got success. He's, he's doing something that he loves, all these things. But he was trying to satisfy himself in things that were not Jesus. 
and that ended in tragedy, right? And so, man, that is, mm. <clears throat> mm, that hurts. Uh, your flesh always wants you to be covetous because it, your flesh is telling you that whatever you got isn't enough, and you need so-and-so's thing. Mom, man, if I just had a job like so-and-so, man, man, if I could just get a girlfriend, everything would be figured out. If I could, have a, if I could just get married, I, would, I wouldn't have any more problems. <laughs> I don't know. I love my wife, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you know, facetiously to say like, oh, she's problems. No, I'm just saying problems don't end when you get married. So um, you better figure that out before, you know. Okay, so um, the question is, are you attempting to satisfy yourself with anything other than Jesus? It's a self-reflection a self-reflecting question that, that you really should ask yourself. Ask yourself that every day. That's okay. Wake up and, and talk to God. Let him know where, you, where you're at with your relationship with him and that you don't want to be satisfied with something else. You want to be satisfied with him. You know, sometimes I feel really convicted singing worship songs. I think I've mentioned this before, but simply how sometimes the worship song is so right in what it's saying but you know that that's not what you live out. You know, you, the songs that are like, you know, you are my everything, and I, my soul longs after you, and I do this, and my heart runs after you, and it's so right. But I know in my, like the core of me, I'm like, I don't, sometimes I don't feel like my heart does run after you. Sometimes uh, I, I know I don't live that truth out all the time, uh, and that hurts, but singing the truth speaking, proclaiming God's truth back to him, but what he says about us and what we can, you know, what we can, what we can and can't do. God, he says that we can seek after him in this way. Like once the, his Holy Spirit is indwelling us, right? If we seek him early, he's there to find us. If, if he will reveal more and more truth to us and we can become more and more uh, uh, satisfied in him, right? We don't have to be covetous, um, so, what tempts us, this is where we're going to, we get into it. What time did I start? I'm sorry. What? 37, okay. So, yeah, this is the, the next point. So, what tempts us to be covetous, right? So, we've talked about a few things that kind of, you know, bring us to this place. Uh, but really, what we've talked about are symptoms, right? Things that manifest, you know, outwardly. Um, and it's funny, I, I, we were, I was talking about this with someone this morning, but there is a difference, and if you've gone to the counseling class, you know this was like, this is like one of the main points, is that there's differences between symptoms and root issues, right? Were you aware of that? I think that's something like I, I in, intrinsically, you kind of know that, but in terms of like pinpointing what those uh, root issues are is difficult, right? So by trade, I, I work in a mechanic shop, and I see a ton of symptoms, right? People, that's, what, that's all they can come to me with. 
You know, unless they know, like I had a car in yesterday that they just like must have had a grudge against this curb because they like, <laughs> like the wheels on one side were like, and I'm like, like, dang, I did this. But so that in that case, it's like they came to me with the root problem. <laughs> they knew. <laughs> You know, they were like, I hit a curb real bad, and now my wheels are sideways. <laughs> we had to fix it. Um, but in most cases, people come to us, and they have, uh, you know, a concern. They're like, you know, when I'm driving, this happens, and this happens, or like sometimes. When this, and they're all, all they can do is describe their symptoms, right? They don't know why it's happening. They're not a mechanic by trade, you know, so... You don't treat, though, you, you can't, by treating the root issue, you treat the symptoms, right? But it doesn't go the other way. You treat the symptoms, it doesn't treat the root issue, right? So I just think that that's common sense, like learning how to just be able to think through those things and say, yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, so say someone comes in, they say, you know, well, um, and I notice every few days my tires are low. So I just been filling them up. I'm like, you didn't think that maybe you got like a nail in your tire or something? Or there's any, you're like, how long have you been doing this? Six months. <laughs> right. Now your tires are ruined because they go flat. And then you get, you know, anyway, you're rolling on flat tires. It messes up your tires. The sidewall blows out. Just, this is a little fatherly advice, all right? <laughs> Don't ride around on flat tires, okay? Please. No, that's treating a symptom, right? You know, so uh, when I drive at 55 miles an hour or higher, my car shakes. So, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amen, amen, all right, yeah. All right, here, here's some advice. <laughs> so you might be tempted to then say, well, the solution to this issue is that I drive 50 and below. <laughs> and to that, I would say, here, an accident waiting to happen. You're asking for destruction, right? It's silly. I, and this one might seem way out of left field, but I'm telling you, this is true. I know someone who, this happened, a coworker of mine. My teeth hurt when I brush them. So the solution... The solution is, I don't brush my teeth. <laughs> my gums hurt when I brush my teeth, so why would I brush them? I'm not joking. This is, I have a coworker who said this. And you know what happened to that guy? He got all his teeth pulled out, and he got dentures. Straight up. Disgusting. Pray for him. <laughs> He's got bigger issues than that. But uh, anyway, obviously, to any of these scenarios, we know that those solutions are not solutions. They are treating a symptom that is very temporary. This is a, a situation that can be fixed. It's not something that is beyond repair. Go to the dentist. I don't know. Just get your teeth cleaned. I say that. I haven't been to the dentist in five years. 
had a root canal. It was awful. Um, but these are not solutions to the actual problem. You, 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 if you figure that stuff out, you might find that in, deeper in, there's, there is definitely things that are causing that symptom to happen, right? And if you can pinpoint what that is, then you'll realize that those symptoms become less and less until they eventually, they go away. And that, you know, obviously it's easy for me to just picture that. Like I said, I'm a visual thinker. And so I, I think in that terms of, you know, mechanical thinking. Uh, but it is the same concept for us. What are these things that, that pop up? The symptoms, right? Uh, you know, t- discontentment, fear, you know, all these things, you know, those, those would probably, I would say the number one symptom of not being, uh, of being covetous, right, is, is discontentment and fear. You're, right, so you'd be tempted to say, right, well, I'm discontent, so I'm going to change the circumstances in which I, I'm discontent with. Right, so let's say you're, you're discontent with the fact that you're single. I guarantee you could find someone to date. Somebody out there would love to date you. Right? You can get on uh, Craigslist. <laughs> I don't know. Just type in girlfriends. <laughs> Is that what the kids do nowadays? <laughs> Right, but that doesn't fix the the issue that you had of being actually discontent. That that is, you will still be. Then you'll just have a girlfriend and be discontent. Right, <clears throat> right, and and I I believe the fear comes from not trusting God. You are afraid that God is somehow like your out of touch parent who's trying to like set you up with their like friend's son. You're afraid that God doesn't know you. You're afraid that God is like out to like just get you. He's like, oh, you don't like that kind of person? Now you have to marry one. <laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> like what kind of God, like what kind of like malicious, like, you know, just what kind of God do you think we serve? I'm not saying God's going to give you all your heart's desires, but I'm saying he knows you. He knows what's best for you, right? Man, I don't get that, right? Mm. Uh, Man, you start making choices out of fear, don't you? You panic and you start making, you know, decisions that don't, they're not rational and and they start ruining your life. And then it's like a snowball effect. As soon as you realize like, oh, this isn't in my control, I'm afraid. So you make one choice, and then that choice compounds into another worse circumstance. And so you're like, oh, no, this is even worse. Uh, I need to lie again, or I need to figure this out. I need to, you know, uh, and you just find yourself, you're discontent again, and you're just afraid. Two character traits that are not a part of the Christian life, that should not be a part of the Christian life, right? Right? 
We've not been given the spirit of fear, right? That's not a child of God. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us to, to lead us, to guide us, to, to make sure that we're not uh, just living this fear-driven life. We can leave a, lead a Holy Spirit-driven life. We can allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us through his word, and we can move confidently knowing that he's there, right? But instead, we choose fear as if that's a better option. We choose discontentment as if that is better, right? That's really what it comes down to. It is a choice. Uh, like the title of this sermon, Freedom to be Content. As you were once slaves to sin, you were slaves to the bondage and in bondage to the desires of your flesh. God has made you free from that. You are now able to be content in whatever state you're in, right? Before, you were just, you're like, man, discontent. And rightfully so. You should have been discontent. And I'm praying right now, if you're sitting in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never encountered Jesus in that way, I, do, I pray that you're discontent with your life because you'll realize that Jesus Christ is the only way to have true, lasting contentment. There's no way around it. Psalm 23, 1, you know, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Does discontentment and fear sound like a guy like that? Does it sound like David was operating in that way? Now, at times he did. When he saw Bathsheba bathing on that roof, he was like, I'm covetous. Someone go get that lady. <laughs> he, knew that, he knew she wasn't his, but he wanted it. But at this time in David's life, he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I won't want. I don't have anything that I need that he hasn't given me. What a proclamation, right? <clears throat> so key point number one, not trusting God leads to covetousness. Okay, let's get moving. Second half of this verse. So be content with such things as you have. This is the second part of this verse. Okay, so now we have covetous, uh, covetousness and, and understanding what that looks like, right? Idolizing something you don't have. And, and trying to satisfy, satisfy yourself with it, right? So now we're going into contentment. Contentment is the antithesis of covetousness, right? The, the polar opposite, right? Um, contentment tells us, or covetous tells us that, uh, that God is, what God has blessed us with isn't enough. That's what covetous tells us, right? So if if it's the polar opposite, what, would you, what do you think contentment would mean, right? It would mean that what God has given you is enough, right? That's the conclusion that you must draw as a believer. Uh, contentment tells us that our joy and satisfaction are, are rooted in Christ. Uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says that now that I, uh, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, again, that, that idea of not in want 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. All right? So not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Do you guys know that was, that's actually powerful. It's not just like a verse on a t-shirt, right? I had the power, I don't know if you guys know what the power team was. I don't know if they're still around. I hope they are. It was just a group of strong Christian guys that would go to churches and like break big chunks of ice. <laughs> and like, you remember that? <laughs> Why don't we do stuff like that anymore? <laughs> Can we have the power team here? <laughs> yes. They take like metal pipes that were like this big and go like, <laughs> and they get the crowd to like chant like, we trust God. <laughs> All things through Christ. As they're like bending it. He would, they'd grab soda cans and squeeze them until they burst open. I've tried it a lot. <laughs> Especially when I was seven. Uh, but it's powerful. Right? In whatsoever state I am, I can be content. That's tough, because you know in your heart that's not what... A lot of, in a lot of times in your life, that's not how you've operated. That's not how I've operated. What in the world? The dancers. The angels. <laughs> celebrating. Someone just got saved, didn't they? <laughs> celebrating. Um... That's, a, that's, again, a very bold statement that you can be content in whatever state you are. And I think this is something, I guess, I think I take it for granted that I know this, but the context of Philippians is that Paul's in prison talking about joy. He's lecturing us about how you can be content in whatever state you are, chained to a wall. Ouch, dude. Like, what are you, what is, what, what are you chained to? You know, because the reality is, if you're chained to something, you've chained yourself to it, right? Right? In whatever state you're in, you can be content. You can be rich, you can be poor. You can be hungry, you can be full. But if you have Jesus Christ, you can, you'll be fine, right? <sighs> Contentment is the, it's the secret to lasting joy, Right? That joy is only found in, in the fact that Jesus Christ is sufficient for all things. Our joy can't be rooted in our circumstances. I encourage you, if, this is, if, if you have opportunity with like coworkers or lost friends that are down about their circumstances in life, please share this with them about how your circumstances are always going to change. So if you root your happiness and your joy in that circumstance... You're destined for a life of ups and downs, right? Inconsistent joy. You're, for a Christian, you may have inconsistent circumstances, but your joy doesn't have to do this. Your satisfaction doesn't have to do this. It doesn't have to. Um, man, Colossians 2.6 says, and uh, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. 
Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. What, and what excuse do you have? He has, let's see, he has everything, and we have him. He has everything, and we're complete in him. When you chose to give your life to Jesus Christ, you're now hid in Jesus, right? What does Jesus not have? What is not his? Come on, guys. I think that's a, that's a very, uh, maybe it's very meta to think about, you know, that way. But it's like, you're in him. He is in everything. He has everything. He is Right? Um, Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory uh, by Christ Jesus. Man, that's the riches I want to trust in. You know, not, not man's riches. Man's riches can disappear overnight. Overnight. <clears throat> right? Okay, so we're getting to the relationship part of this though. Does this make sense though? You guys keeping up? Okay. So um, the next question that we kind of have is, so why should we trust God? And I think we've kind of covered that a little bit. And you know, I've given you, I think, reason, but let's go even deeper. So back to the idea that we get in our head of God, you know, somehow the creator of the universe doesn't know you or doesn't know what you need, right? You think, well, I'm this age, I have a job, and this is what I'm doing. Now I need a wife. God, don't you know that? Can't you tell where I'm at in life? Be careful. Um, Let me remind you, no one had to, to bring to God's attention that Adam needed a wife. No one was like, hey God, Adam seems pretty lonely, right? No, God on his own said that it's, it's not good that man would be alone, right? He, he came to that conclusion. And he brought someone into Adam's life, and he was starstruck. He loved her. They were together. That was it, right? You know, so and it was in the midst of, of Adam tilling the field, and he's out there, and all of a sudden, he wakes up, and there's Eve. You, know. you ever heard that song, Heaven's Knife, by Josh Garrels? I loved it, and I thought about singing it to Amanda once. And I showed her the song, and she was like, immediately made fun of his voice. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, yeah, I think it's stupid too. It's a stupid song. Let's read Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. So it's going to be a little bit. It says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, uh, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, Neither do they spin, and yet I say unto you, 
that even Solomon and all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which, is to, uh, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O, little, o ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall, ye, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with, wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Oh, he knows. Uh, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the, uh, for the morrow. For the morrow shall take <clears throat> for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He knows what you need. Tomorrow's going to do what tomorrow does. If it even happens. That's what they say. Tomorrow is a, a day on a fool's calendar, right? Tomorrow may not happen. We're not promised tomorrow. But if it does come, it's going to do what it does. And you are going to be there if it happens. <laughs> and he knows what you need, right? God is the same God that was in Genesis as he is very, this very moment. He didn't change. He knows what you need. He can take care of you. Um, his provision is big enough to take care of all that stuff, right? Um, he knows what his children need when they need it. He knows the appropriate time to bring those things into your life, right? Um, so, okay. So, Um, right, okay. So more than even just providing the things that we need, right? What else has God provided us? That, that is the question. He has provided us with a grace that is sufficient for all things. For all things. God doesn't use just flippant words, Right? He's saying this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my, infirm in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul is talking about a physical infirmity in this, in this instance. He's, uh, some, some believe that he had like an eye condition, uh, something that hindered him from seeing well, right? And he had prayed a lot of times that God would take it from him. But he realized that in the midst of his weakness, it put him in a place of, of needing the Lord, of needing Jesus, right? He already needed Jesus, but it just reminded him that he needed him more and more, right? He couldn't trust in his flesh, literally. Couldn't trust in his eyes. Uh, so he needed the eyes of Christ to, to guide him. He needed the, the light that is Jesus to, to guide him through. And so, um, anyway. <sighs> Nothing will ever top the time that Mike Renault had to preach with a bat flying around the sanctuary. <laughs> so I'm okay. And Frank Spees has smacked the bat out of the... <laughs> 
it had swooped down, uh, and everyone's like, whoa, you know, and took Mike everything to get everyone's attention back, and then all of a sudden, you hear in the back of the auditorium, with like a big pool, a pool sweep or whatever, uh, Frank Spiesel was like, whoa, bam! <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. I felt so bad for Mike, though, so this is nothing. Anyway. Um, right, okay, so God is our perfect father. He's the best father, better than any of our earthly fathers. I'm sure there's some great fathers uh, that have raised people in this room, but none of them come close to God, right? And the Bible says that if our fathers, our earthly fathers, our wicked, evil fathers here on this earth know how to give good gifts, what do you think our heavenly father knows how to give? He owned everything that is good that we've ever received is from God. He knows only how to give good gifts. That's it. Everything from God is good, right? So that's the question. So what do you have, and are you content with it? That's, the, that's that verse, you know? Be content with what, what you have, right? That's the question that you ask yourself every day. When you wake up, ask yourself that question. What do I have? Am I content with that? And then uh, let's move on. So key point number two. Let's make sure I'm not. Okay, key point number two. Contentment in Jesus leads to contentment in what we have. Contentment in Jesus leads to contentment in what we have. Right? All right, uh, the last part of this section. I'm gonna move through this. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What a promise, right? I know that there's a, there's a temptation, as, especially, I mean, I say especially, but I mean, I know as a married man, I have the temptation to believe that God has forgotten about me. That's not exclusive to singleness. It just may be more prevalent in terms of you are not in a romantic relationship, so you feel like, oh man, I don't have anybody to feel that way. But that's so not true. God is there. He said, he promised, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So what does forsaken mean? It means to abandon uh, or to leave helpless. Does that sound like character traits of our God? Not even kind of. Man, John 14, 16 says, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he, he may abide with you forever. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you, intending to comfort you, comfort your soul, right? Especially during times of, of being downtrodden and, and, and feeling alone. He's there to remind you, you're not alone. Okay, So let's get to this question. Uh, I don't have much time left, but do you have the gift of singleness? Mm-hmm. This is the big question. We're talking about singleness, what not, what not, right? So 1 Corinthians 7, 6 through 9 is kind of where one of those, the idea of this gift of singleness comes from. And uh, it says, but I speak this by permission and not of commandment. Take that first. It says, for I would that all men were even as myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, 
one after this manner and the other after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them uh, if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Right? So there's this idea that, oh, it's better to be single because Paul was single and he was saying, I wish you guys were all like me, right? Paul lets us in on the fact that this is literally not commandment. This is his opinion. <laughs> that it's, and he has good reason, right? When you become not single, you are now responsible for the things of the world. Now, I'm not saying you don't have responsibilities as a single person, but when you become united in marriage, you are now taking care of another human. You're now in partnership with another person that you are responsible for their life. And especially us as husbands, we're, we're shepherding our wives, shepherding our families, right? You are concerned with the things of this world. You're not your own anymore, right? <clears throat> so, uh, but that doesn't negate the fact that marriage is awesome and it pictures Jesus Christ loving the church. And it's a great thing, right? And uh, there's not a whole lot of, there's none no dating references, you know, but there's principles, right, in, in the Bible. Um, and so I think principally here we have to be able to take away that there's benefits to both, right? The benefit to being single is your freedom. You're, you're literally available and not romantically tied down to someone else in a marriage uni- uh, unity, and there's, there's great benefit in that for ministry. There's great benefit in that for your personal friendships and relationships. Um, and, but there's also great benefit in, in the other, right? Uh, so you can't get caught into this trap of thinking that one is better than the other. I think that's where you, you fall back into the beginning of this cycle of covetousness, right? You think, well, you know, this is, yeah, and, you know, or you lean too far on this end and say, like I said at the, the top, I, I'm content. I have the gift of singleness. So let's really think about that, right? If God has given us grace that is sufficient for all things, right? He's with us through all things. <clears throat> the answer to that question, do I have the gift of singleness? Yeah, you do if you're single, I hate to be so simplistic because it sounds like, like I don't care about it, but I'm just saying, if you're single, you do have the gift of singleness because God's grace is sufficient for all things. He's everything you need to be content in that, but you also have to be willing to allow God to work through your life, and, and you have to know that God will present you with opportunities, things, or people that will change your life forever for the better. You know that, right? And you can't, like if Joshua, and Nick and I were talking about this, I was trying to, I was bouncing ideas off Nick and he mentioned this, but like if Joshua would have, Joshua would have just been like, when Moses asked him to lead the Israelites, he'd be like, no, nah, I'm pretty much content doing what I'm doing. Like no one would be like, I want to be like Joshua. <laughs> Nobody would be, no one would be saying that. They'd be like, yeah. No, the idea is that Joshua was content doing what he was doing until God changed the path. 
That's something Mark Trotter, I always heard him say that. Keep doing what you're doing until God changes it. If you're looking ahead, you're going to miss out on what's happening right here. That's some of the best advice I ever got in, in parenting. Tad Schlagenbush, untapped well of wisdom. Go talk to that guy. If you're looking forward to the next season of your child's life, you're missing out on what's happening right in front of you, right? And the same goes for your, your singleness, your relationship status right now. I'm telling you, you think that, like, as a married person, you're like, everything is perfect, and, you know, I'm married, and all my problems went away, and I can't emphasize enough how that's not true. Trying to intermingle two lives together is really difficult. It's tough, strenuous work, right? And you're going to miss out on the times that I got to just sit around with Montana and Uriah playing Madden 2009 for 15 hours at a time. (laughs) We had tournaments and stuff. It was great. You're going to miss out on that. Right? Anyway. Anyway, anyway. Okay. What God does say, though, we should be familiar with singleness. But it should be singleness of heart towards the Lord. Yeah. All right? So there's not much. I mean, uh, Acts 2.46 uh, says, And they continuing daily with one accord uh, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as such as should be saved. Servants, uh, Ephesians 6, 5, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as unto Christ. Colossians three twenty two. servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Singleness, right? Not talked a ton about in terms of a romantic relationship. It's not. Be a husband of one wife. There we go. Be single. In that, single-minded in that, in that pursuit to be a husband of one wife, right? But, it's like, they're wearing like wooden clogs. It feels like they're rolling wooden statues across the, like, we gotta get all these over there. Anyway. Our heart, our heart posture towards the Lord seems to be what he's more concerned about than your romantic uh, status. And I would say we oftentimes have that flipped around, regardless if, if you're a single person or if you're a married person, right? That's why the Bible says don't seek to be you know, married. Don't seek to be loosed, right? There's, there's something happening right now in front of you, right? And if you're focused on the other things then you're going to miss it out, miss out on it. And your heart posture towards the Lord is in a, a, it's, in a it's positioned in such a, a way that is like, I need something, God. I want this. I need that, right? And man, that isn't going to get you nowhere. That's going to get you nowhere. All right. Learning how to be okay, uh, finding your rest in Jesus is, is crucial, Right? Um, but praise God, we all have the gift of singleness. We have the gift of 
being married, we have the gift of whatever we need when we need it. Because God is good, and he knows what his children need when they need it. So when you need that, when you need that, know that God's grace is sufficient. When you're down, when you're out, when you're, when you're struggling, when you're struggling with sin, when you're struggling with contentment or fear or anything like that, know that, man, he is there. He will never leave you or forsake you. Um, key point number three. Trust God's word and know that he will be with you in all seasons. Amen? Um, I love you guys, and uh, I love getting to counsel people through, you know, relationship things or just emotional things, like whatever you just need to talk about. I, I love talking about God's word and how it applies to every situation of our life. What I, it is, what hurts is to see someone who is uh, actively choosing to, to not trust God. And then a result of that is that they're beaten down by their own circumstances, by their, their thoughts, by their sin, by their, any of those things. They're beaten down by it instead of being victorious over it, right? If you guys have never, I think I've spoke about this before too, but if you've never seen the movie The Apostle Paul, I would encourage you, maybe you guys get together, Somebody, you guys should watch it. It's a really, actually good depiction of, of Paul and his ministry uh, you know, with Luke and everything. It's really cool. But there's a scene where Paul is, he's laying in his prison cell and he's trying to sleep and he's being tormented by this dream of seeing all the souls, all the people that he's had a hand in killing you know, as before he was a Christian. And he's looking at, and they're looking at him and there's like, there's blood on them and they're, they're, you know, he's seeing all these people and he wakes up in a cold sweat and he says, he's just repeating that phrase, God's grace is sufficient, God's grace is sufficient. And man, guys, that put that, that put that verse in such a new context for me. It really did. It's just like, you'd think like some like just regular movie, you know, most times Hollywood doesn't make a movie or like, they can't make a movie that's accurate, you know, to biblical, you know things, but I thought this one was really good. And if that's not true, then we're all doomed. If God's grace isn't sufficient for everything, we're doomed. It has to be sufficient for you to be single. It has to be sufficient for you to be married. It has to be sufficient for you to be hungry or or full or poor or rich. It has to be sufficient for all things, every single thing. So uh, anyway, uh, are we doing worship or Again, and let's close in worship. So if the worship team, Harrison and, and the gang, if you guys want to come back up. But uh, I just want to encourage you guys, as we even go into this breakout session or whatever, if you have things that you want to lay down in, uh, at the feet of Jesus, I encourage you to do that. If you realize that in your walk recently or for the, a long time, you've not found your sufficiency in, in Christ, if you've been trusting in your circumstances or you've been fearing, you've been discontent, all of those things, I really, really encourage uh, each and every one of us to lay those things down before the Lord and get right. Repent and turn your eyes toward Jesus, right? Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, 
for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.com.